I sarcastically applauded the referee's decision and got sent off for it, uh, so it gave me enough time to host this edition of Serie A Sit-Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio Told Like It Is at the highest of levels. I'm Frank Ravello, the host, and uh, with me as always, co-host Richard Carmen. Ciao, Richard. Ciao, Frank. I'm glad you uh, made it on the show, uh, despite the red card. I was trying to time it just perfect so that I could, you know, get out of that game and then just, you know, get back here and, and, and do the podcast. So I'll call you Nicolo Barella. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm I'm all right. How about yourself? Although it's just been a miserable day. Milan losing, uh, and then you know Milwaukee. Not a great day for Milwaukee sports either. Bucks losing game one to the Celtics, and then the Brewers losing. And then and my, I didn't see the game, but my understanding is uh, our MVP uh, Christian Yelich got hurt. So uh, not a not a not a great not a great day for me sports wise. Uh, otherwise, I'm okay. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm pretty good. I mean, this Champions League race is this broke wide open. So. Uh, it's going to be a fun uh, last couple games here, and uh, I'm going to be glued to the TV, and I'm going to have to call out of work, I think, a couple times. So let's, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, and we have a guest uh, with us this week. Um, he is earning his fourth cap with the Serie A sit-down all this season. Um, he, is a, uh, he is a Serie A opinionist, writer, vlogger. Uh, he's done over 500 pieces for Italian Football Daily. Uh, he also uh, does some work for TFC Live. He's a correspondent for Soccer Examiner, and he's our resident Juventini. Uh, we welcome back Rocco Fasano. Ciao, Rocco. Hey, 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 hey. What's happening, everybody? Not too much, man. What's Not too up, much. Rocco? Yeah, good to have you. Uh, good to have you back, man. Fourth it's cap. Very, it's it's great. It's great to earn my uh, my fourth cap. Uh, looking forward to many more. Uh, so far, I've had so far uh, I've had fun with both uh, Richard and uh, and yourself, Frank, and looking forward to another great, great podcast. I hear Mancini's yep. uh, listening in this podcast for a call up for you on the national team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I'd love that. It'd be a childhood dream come true. <laughs> hey, he is uh, he is conducting a little bit of an ID mini camp uh, here over the next couple of days. Uh, but- yeah. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. And uh, with, I don't know if he has, if he accepts, if he, if he accepts over thirty fives, though. Yeah, that's just that he's he's looking at players much much younger than all of us. So. Oh, yeah. probably <laughs> so, closer to being my kids than being. Yeah, I was gonna say they're, they're looking at all of our sons or something like that. So, my goodness, yeah. So, uh, uh, but uh, let's uh, let's get on with it because we're gonna talk. We're gonna we're gonna open this podcast by talking a little bit of Juve. Um, you know, just after that, uh, Richard will bring you the games that shaped that uh, European uh, uh, race uh, for the Champions League and for the Europa League. Uh, and then uh, we will uh, have a look at the games that shaped the relegation picture, top it off with uh, Coppa Italia. And then we have a couple of games on Monday. We're recording this on a Sunday night. But uh, we'll start with Derby uh, d'Italia. Um, Inter and Juventus at the San Siro. Um, <laughs> Hate to say, Inter obviously still having a lot to play for, trying to secure their Champions League place and trying to get a little bit of separation and really just trying to make this a race for fourth. Um, Juve, not much to play for, but I think what I, the first reaction that I had, Rocco, is um, looking at the lineup that they put out for this game. Um, they might have everything clinched, but it looks like, uh, at, at the very least, Juventus will attempt to respect. Um, you know, the competitive nature of things and, and, and respect the fact that uh, there are other teams fighting for things and that it's important that they, they put out as as strong a team as they possibly can. I'm not 
you know, you you're, you follow this team a lot closer than I do. I, I follow it close enough that this was a relatively strong Juventus that uh, was put out for this game. Um, but at least th- that was the first thing I took encouragement from was that uh, they're not going to mess around with these games. They're going to uh, respect the competitive uh, uh, implications that are going on with some of the other teams in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that um, one of the things that Allegri was accused of, uh, especially during, uh, especially the game against Spal, was the fact of going a little too heavy on on the youth uh, and a little too heavy on the experimentation. And of course, that would be something that would be uh, one is tempted is tempted to do in the last uh, in the remaining games that Juventus has, uh, but I would would tend to agree that he didn't go completely wild with with experiments uh, this game around and uh, instead kind of kept it together. Wanted to ensure that Juventus didn't uh, didn't get completely played off the field because uh, at the end of the day, the Derby Italia is always a Derby Italia. It's uh, always uh, inter is our most um, uh, hated, let's say uh, hates a strong word as they say, but inter is definitely our, our biggest um, uh, most, uh, I, I'd say, I'll say hate again, hated uh, rival. So it's like you wanted to, put a team on the field that was uh, pretty close to the best players that he had available at the moment. The fact that Juventus is so uh, is suffering from so many injuries makes it uh, really easy to kind of to select the top 11 and mid game mix in some, uh, some youth, which is exactly uh, what he did. My, uh, my only comment on the starting lineup is a little bit of disappointment in not seeing uh, Keen get uh, the full 90 minutes um, because him of all people uh, is someone who needs it the most, who stands the game the most in terms of, uh, in terms of growth, in terms of uh, Serie A experience, lest we forget that he had a season, a full season at Elas Verona uh, and and uh, saw a lot of the bench picking a lot of splinters from his uh, behind. So we're looking to, I was looking to get to seeing Keane, Moise Keane getting more minutes uh, in this match. Uh, of course, he did come on and uh, seemed to make a difference right away, but I don't want to get too ahead of, uh, ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think Richard, um, it didn't, you know, the, the fireworks, uh, came uh, relatively quick, only seven minutes in. Raja Nangalan, uh fair to say that's the goal of the week. Hands down, goal of the week, and a uh, wonderful pass to set him up. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but that strike was 100% intentional. Uh, what a curve for the outside of his boot. Uh, curve it back in. Uh, a wonderful strike past Chesney. Nothing any keeper in the world would have done about that. It was just perfectly hit by Nangolan. We've seen this before. Uh, this guy has the talent to do it. He's been uh, struggling thus far with Inter, but uh, what a way to try, to try to shake that off with a goal like that, and what a way to kick off the derby, right? Yeah, for sure. And another thing note here about about Inter, Richard, um, they're, you know, they have the 3-1 win against Rosinone, but they share points uh, with Atalanta, Roma, and now Juve all at home, and it seems like it, it's kind of strange in a sense they're sitting third, and they just had three big games that you would have thought, considering all of the distractions and everything that was going on with them, with with Icardi and with his wife, and um, you know, and, and some of this other stuff. That these were three games. I think a little while back we're looking at these three games as boy, this could be a real spot of bother for them in terms of trying to maintain top three, even top four. 
uh, but they come away sharing points in all three of them, and they're third, and they're six points clear of fifth. I mean, uh, it's, you know, they've just, it's kind of, it's almost as if they just found a way, uh, you know, to navigate through this, and uh, at the end, they've mitigated the damage, really, because all of the teams below them have damaged themselves. Resourceful inter, and then plus a, a calamity of errors below them. Um, like you, like we've been saying, and I think Matt Santangelo is the one who started saying, and like nobody wants this fourth Champions League spot. They keep, you know, jeopardizing themselves, you know, week in and week out. And so Inter has stayed level, which is which is rare to say, you know. And and they've 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 been streamlined, they've been efficient. Well, they've been resourceful, and they found a way to get points in every one of the big games that they had. And we thought those with that gauntlet that they had to run through that. This would have been a chance for the teams below them to come up and catch them, but it seems that there's a little bit of a separation, or at least the gap has remained the same uh, after this gauntlet. And that goes credit to Spalletti. It goes credit to the entire the entire uh, Inter from brass from the top to the bottom um, that they were able to keep their focus and maintain um, a well-oiled machine going through this this uh, heavy amount of fixtures here with uh, such important games. And Rocco. Um as for the game itself, uh, Inter first half, you know, edge the possession, better, you know, more chances, more chances on target. Was this just one of those, you know, all right, Juventus just comes off of clinching the title and, you know, yeah, this is the Derby d'Italia, but it's it's not that significant to us. Was it kind of, were they kind of in a slumber here, or did you find some? Did you find them to? you know, try to get themselves into this game here in the first half and it just wasn't going, uh, you know, explain what you saw from yeah, uh, yeah, your perspective. I think, I, I think that we, I think there was a little bit of, uh, a little bit of hangover there from the, from last weekend going on. And it, it took, uh, it took a little bit to, for, for the team to, uh, to kind of get their heads straight. I, I think more so than, than what was wrong with the event is I think Inter was determined to uh i think inter smelled blood in the water and they said you know what this is a perfect opportunity to take back um a derby win uh, i mean it's been it's been a you know had been a little while and you know perfect opportunity to after inspired of course by that wonderful choreography or tifo as we call it in english um right before the match with game over Right, uh, re- referring surely to uh, to Inter's uh, Champions League run. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, of course it, I, I do. I'm very well aware that uh, it was a dig at us. Uh, but you know they were inspired by that. Maybe they were they wanted to bring uh, they wanted to give their team a, a win. They wanted to to do that. And you know what? They came out. They came out strong. And I think Juventus was a little surprised. Uh, we were kind of just passing the ball around gingerly and um, kind of uh, suffered a few uh, chances. Inter could have gone up two uh, nil uh, uh, in the in the first twenty minutes or half an hour, and and it took us a while to kind of just reset and say, okay, let's let's take this one seriously. And really, basically, gifted Inter uh, the first half, all, all things considered. More of a balanced uh, second half, uh, you know, when you take a look at the numbers and you take a look at how things went. And uh, it would be in the second half that Juventus would equalize through Cristiano Ronaldo, his 600th, 600th club goal, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, Spot that's on. Yeah. yeah, I thought I read that. I thought I read that somewhere. Um, 
So uh, uh, just a, a not one that you know. I mean, you'll remember it for the milestone, but you probably won't remember it for the quality. It was kind of one of those that Handanovich. I don't think it, he got beaten at his near post, and it was just one of those that he just looked like he never saw it. Yeah, I, I got the impression that he he kind of got caught on the wrong foot there, Handanovich. Uh, yeah. But it was it, it was a low and hard shot. Um, and kind of like just right, right along, you know, just kind of caressing the blades of grass, uh, all the way in. And it just, it was, it was, a uh, it wasn't the, the prettiest goal, but I don't think it, I, I wouldn't really, uh, see Handanovic as being super culpable on that one. It was, it was a quick shot. It was a hard shot. Uh, and at that point, a lot of people would expect, uh, either Ronaldo to try to walk in a little bit more or to pass it off or something like that. I think it, I think it was surprised more than more than anything on that. It's not too dissimilar yeah, from the uh, Perisic attempt not, uh, minutes earlier where he just missed wide, and then yeah. the only difference is that Ronaldo yeah. finished it. Yeah. Um, Richard, uh, you know, let's uh, let's put let's uh, we'll we'll put enter we'll put enter to bed the 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 interviews. The can stop listening after this question answered because we're pretty much not going to talk about them the rest of the podcast. Um, and that's not because we have Juve, Juventini, and Milanisti doing the pod. It's just you know it is what it is. But okay, sixty-two points, six clear of fifth, and the remaining fixture list of Adunanesi home against Chievo at Napoli and hosting Empoli. Even Inter can't screw that up, right? Yeah, and I mean, they should be able to see that one out, and the Napoli one, they should be able to get up for that one. Um, I'm actually really curious to see how that'll that'll play out because we know how uh, the the style both these teams play and how will it. It seems like every time they play each other, it ends up being a draw. But um, Napoli is very dangerous, as we know, and and Inter have uh, have to have some confidence after this, the string of uh, big games that they played, and they came out on in the a good side. They came out with a draw, so um, it, it should be a very interesting game. But the rest of those games, this should be. They should be able to, and no disrespect to these other clubs, you know, walk through these these matches and win. But as we know, Inter are Inter, so we should never uh, bet on anything with them. But uh, I would be, it would be fair to say that they would get the maximum three points from the rest of those games outside of Napoli. For sure. I would, I would just interject on that and and just say that uh, probably the more dangerous match is going to be the next one against uh, Udinese. Uh, with uh, the Udinese, I mean, we'll see what they do tomorrow against Atalanta, uh, but they are sitting in fourth last, so they're they're close, the one clo- the team closest to Empoli uh, as uh, at the time of recording. So I think they're going to be going out there and, and trying to get as many points as they can uh, in order to not get sucked into uh, an actual relegation spot, uh, since they are true relegation battlers. Chievo, Napoli, and by the time Inter plays Empoli, uh, all three of those teams will have uh, will have basically very little to play for in terms of season objectives, with their fates already uh, pretty much determined by that time. Yeah, for sure. So... Um... So we'll see what happens, but I mean, it looks really good for Inter to uh, formally grab one of those Champions League places. Um, yeah, yeah, fair point there about uh, Udine- Udinese at the Dacia. You never know, uh, and Udinese have certainly been competitive and had a little bit of rejuvenation uh, since Igor Tudor has taken over. But let's uh, let's 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 talk let's talk about uh, your uh, Zebretta there, uh, Rocco Juventus. Um, 
Richard and I uh, talked about Juve last week after uh, clinching uh, the Scudetto yet again, eight straight seasons. It's very impressive. Um, but we want to take a little bit of a deeper dive on this now. Um, I think we want to address some questions as far as this season in particular and then maybe their future here and how long this can keep going. But, um, you know, let me start Let me start with this question. And, you know, the inf- infamous tweet aside, we will get to it. Um one of the things here's here's the things that I brought up as far as Juventus's run here in the last eight years uh, in winning eight straight Scudetto, and I said this on last week's pod. Um, you know, when you when you have 38 match weeks a season, that's 304 match weeks. Uh, after this season, will have concluded. Juventus have been at the top of Serie A for 223 of those 304 match weeks, and that's just staggering. Um, the next closest, I don't even think, has 10, um, or maybe maybe they do. Napoli might have. Might, Napoli might be in double digits, but then after that, everybody else is in single digits. It's just crazy. So let me ask you this. Um, how much of this has been Juventus's absolute dominance and the resources that they have where they can just keep cranking out winning Scudetto year after year after year? You know, if we made a pie chart, how much of it is that? How much of it is Roma, Lazio, Milan, Inter, Napoli just all either all, one, all cannibalizing each other, and then two, just falling short when it comes to building the, the squad that's required to compete with Juventus to win a Scudetto? Wow, what a question. Uh, I, I, uh, I suppose the postmodernist approach would be to, to say it's a little bit of both. Uh, but definitely, I, I want to I say that you know, they, whenever these are the opponents have had the opportunity to you know, uh, take Lady Luck by the hair... And, and make the Scudetto theirs, they've almost always had uh, a falling, right? I recall in Juventus's first season, the Milan dropping their their home match against Fiorentina, losing 2-1 at home uh, in at the San Siro. I, of course, Fiorentina, once again, being the protagonist uh, last year when uh, beating by beating Napoli the week after Napoli beat us um, and and basically undoing uh, whatever good Napoli had done at the Allianz Stadium. Uh, but I, I really want to say that, you know, if you if you look at uh, Juventus's payroll, I mean, we're leaps and bounds ahead of any other team there. So when you're able to pay for, acquire a certain type of level type of player and pay him well, then you're able to assemble a team of players that can play at, at that level consistently and get you the results consistently. Um, and it's not only, not only uh, the actual and what does a payroll mean? It means depth. It means you're able to buy a number of players, 14, 15 players that you can rotate. And therefore, therefore you're able to weather the injuries. You're able to, to, to rotate for the cup games, et cetera, and be able to produce this kind of a, this kind of a winner. So, uh, you know, what, what's, what's the pie chart? I don't know. Maybe, maybe 50, 50, 60, 40, either way. 
I don't I don't think it's going to be any more than than 60-40 either way. I'd like to say that uh, in, in in some years in some scudetti the dominance uh, of Juventus was apparent and they were completely cannibalistic. Um, and others it was uh, teams completely collapsing when the pressure came. Sorry, opponents collapsing when the pressure. Uh, got to a certain point um and then some years it was it was both and i want to say maybe this year was was a quite it was both where juventus um were marching along at a at a pace that was going to supersede the 102 point record and at the same time napoli wasn't even on the on the map and napoli was our biggest opponent our biggest our second the second place team it's funny, um, you were talking about dominance, and, and Frank and I were trying to compare this team to the previous teams. Uh, you know, Frank, Frank, and Frank says, and I, and I agree with him, that this is, this, while this Juventus team does have the likes of Ronaldo and some of these guys, they don't, they don't look as dominant on the pitch as, say, they, they did when they had Pogba and Pirlo and Tevez and Morata, stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, yeah. So, but, if, but the way I said it was also is that, look, if you look at the standings, though, this is probably the biggest point gap that they had in, in all their title title years in the last eight, in the last eight that were, you know, that they won. So it's it's interesting with the dominance there. I'm curious what you thought about there. It's perplexing. Absolutely, I, I would I would absolutely agree. I mean, I think you guys are astute observers, um, and as someone who watches the team uh, from a fan perspective, but also uh, fans are oftentimes the biggest critics. Uh, I would I tend to agree. I think Juventus this year has had a, uh, in, as far as gameplay is concerned. Uh, I don't think we've moved the yardsticks forward at all. Uh, I do tend to have just to, to, to notice that Ronaldo has had has has a bit of a uh, gravity. You know, he has gravity. He has a magnetizing kind of um, role to play, not only from a team dynamics point of view, but also a team tactics point of view. Um, and and the team play, plays less as such, plays less like as a team and more uh, more individualistic, more an individual point of uh, standpoint. And this is something that I think Allegri needs to work on more. And the challenge will be to ensure that uh, in the process, he doesn't lose Ronaldo's magic, right? So uh, making the team play to get more as a team, uh, maybe making Ronaldo play more of as a team player, which I think he has fantastic ability in, but it's striking that balance. And I think once that that can happen with the right players, with the right type of gameplay, I think uh I think that that's ultimately the what can bring Juventus to uh, to success. And you know, when I say when I talk about gameplay, I'm talking about fast, faster gameplay, faster speed. Uh, you know, the, which is which is what ultimately they met in uh, in Ajax, and they weren't able to to defeat. Let me ask you then, you know, because we talked about how, you know. Richard's question to the point of it was, you know, and, and to your answer, very perplexing. This wasn't, you know, dominant in the table, but when you watch them week in and week out on the pitch, it was a it was a string of just finding ways to win and get points and get results. Um, let's look at this season collectively. Um, I mean, we know what the ambition was for Juventus this season when they bought Cristiano Ronaldo, when they brought in Joao Cancelo, when they got uh, Leonardo Bonucci back. Um 
you know, and it, it led me to tweet what I tweeted after they lost to Ajax. And I, I kind of gave the suggestion. I think when you look at all of these eight years and you looked at what was on the table and what the objective was, it was plain as day what Juventus was shooting for when they when they made the moves, especially when they brought in Ronaldo to win the Champions League. Uh, because it's and 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 you, you, you people that watch the Netflix documentary that it's clear that's the obsession. So when I look at this and yeah, only one team can win the Champions League. But when you have basically made a purchase of a hundred million for a five-time Ballon d'Or winner, mind you, he's 33, and you're basically even even at 33, you're still saying we're all in and we're going for this thing, um, and. In that pursuit, you're coming up with one less trophy. That's why I tweeted what I tweeted. I said this season is a failure. And, you know, to me, to assemble this kind of team, it's not good enough to just come away with a Scudetto. Everybody expected you to win that Scudetto. Uh, People were crazy if they put their money anywhere else on any other team in the league. And I tweeted that as the host of this podcast. I didn't tweet that as a Milan fan that was being grouchy and bitter and, and, and jealous of Juventus' success. I tweeted it as somebody that I watch these Italian teams in these European competitions, and I want them to win because I want the profile of Serie A to be back to where it was in the 90s. I'm dreaming. It's going to be a long way before we ever get there again. But that's where I came from. As a Juventini, how would you characterize this season? I mean, do you I mean? Failure, relative success, big success. I mean, where where are you at with it? I don't think any Juventino can say that it was a big success. Uh, however, I wouldn't characterize it as being a failure. I, you know, if Juventus had just won the Coppa Italia and maybe the uh, Supercoppa and or maybe the Supercoppa, I would have said, yeah, <laughs> this was a failure. But uh, uh, winning winning the league, uh, you know, especially. In, in winning a top five league, uh, you know, we're not talking about, and no disrespect to Austrians, you know, about the Austrian league or, or the Scottish league or, or uh, the Norwegian league. And this is a top five league. Juventus came out on, on top of that, uh, winning it uh, for, with so many weeks um, ahead of time. They absolutely smashed it. Um, you know, there are questions about, there will be, of course, questions about the league since you do have the very next competition uh, being about, you know, 20 points out. Uh, and, and definitely that's that's a problem. But uh, I, I will see your point and will concede in a very minor way uh, and in a kind of a tweak. I would tweak what you would say as far as failure is concerned. Um, and I would say that if you and I to buy a $100 million piece, a specimen like, like Ronaldo. And you'd, in order to win the Champions League, you've publicly announced, you've publicly declared the Champions League as your prime objective. Then purchasing Ronaldo was, so far, has proven to be a failure. In order to win it, yeah. So would he have, would it ha, would it have been a fail? So in other words, Ronaldo purchasing Ronaldo, anything other than a win is a fail. No. Okay. But at the very least, I was my expectations were a semifinal, a final, right? Getting close, getting close to that objective. Definitely you, not. 
definitely not finishing the same place you finished last year. <laughs> definitely not finishing the same place where you finished last year, winning the same thing that you won last year, right? So what if what was the overall net effect of purchasing of spending a hundred million plus thirty million uh, in a salary? You got no change, right? That's like you going out buying something in order to ameliorate your life, in order for you to you know to take some strike something off your bucket list. And no, so far no, so far it hasn't worked. So far we haven't seen that. So. More is needed. Something else is needed. Maybe something else is needed at the helm. This guy has had five shots at it and has come close, but no cigar. Now we're going for the cigar. We got the Ronaldo of players. Maybe we need the Ronaldo of coaches. Or maybe we need just a different coach. Change the air, change of scenery. Someone who has done it before. Someone who can do it or someone who's never done it before, but you have has that hunger to go forward, has the European pedigree, has the know-how. That's it. That's that's a very uh, interesting question to pose, and it's a it's a valid one for sure. And so, you know, we were talking about the Champions League and a name that was surprisingly not there for obvious reasons was Chiellini. you know, we we know how what kind of how important this player is, and it would show it showed so magic. It showed a lot in the in the IX two legs, so especially that second leg. So, how, one we know how important he is, but you know he's he's getting there up there in age. He can't be there much too long. How much longer do you think this Juventus success can continue? Um, I mean, I think it could probably you know the way the landscape is now in Syria, they could probably sustain this for another five years, in my opinion. But I'm curious, as you know, as a fan. What do you think, you know, with Chiellini getting up there in age, you know, obviously he's he's probably the most important player, at least as Frank and I are discussing. I mean, do you think he's the most important player for you? And then how how far can this team go uh, at this current success level? I'm worried about how important Chiellini is for us. I'm worried because, as you said, he's well on in his, in, in his years. Um, he's starting to lose some steps maybe on the European stage, he might not be as quick as as one needs to be at that level. Uh, we have not seen that, to be honest and to be fair to him uh, in this season. In fact, at the beginning of the season, I, I was left with the distinct impression that Chiellini was having one of the best seasons ever uh, of his career. Uh, that said, yeah. unless unless Ronaldo has shared his, uh, his uh, youth potion with Chiellini, you know, I, I don't see Chiellini staying any more than, you know, maybe two years from now. Maybe two years from now will be his last year or next year might be his last season. Um, definitely renewals in the books for Juventus. We, at, 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 you know, at the time of recording, we don't know what is set other than uh, Aaron Ramsey coming on, Barzali very likely to retire. Um, I was very surprised at you know, Juventus letting go of so many, quote, senators all at once last year with the departure of not only Buffon, but Marquisio as a surprise right at the end of the of the Mercato. Um, you know, I think we, you still need somebody to transmit uh, that Juventinita, that, that uh, mentalita vincente, winning mentality that you have 
um, that that Juventus has um, harvested or that has grown uh, for so many years, and that the that that the Kellinis and the Buffons and the Del Pieros and the Nedveds kind of um, um, uh, would would uh, would transmit to the other to the new players as they came on. I think that there's been a lot of change really fast, and I think in the long run they are going to be sorry that they traded away players like. Arturo Vidal and like Pogba back when they did because those players right now at Juventus would have been carrying would have been the bridge that saw you know more youth coming on board so uh, and and the youth that's there uh, you know Rugani uh, I hate to say it and I'm not a Rugani hater I'm, I, I've defended him for years and years and but I, I just don't see it I just don't see that grit uh, Bonucci has lost a step. Uh, so yeah, definitely the defense is some place where they the Juventus will need to beef up uh, next next season. Uh, last uh, last ones for me, Rocco on on Juventus. Um, Max Allegri. Um, he, uh, you know, you 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 usually see him on the on the on the touchlines, and when you kind of you know listen to him talk, and the, if you if you if people ever watch the documentary on Netflix. You know, he seems like he's got it very composed, got it very together. Obviously, finally, um, some people got under his skin after the uh, derby here uh, yesterday with Inter. Um, I'm sure you're aware of the post-match interview where he just kind of yeah. stor- he, he stormed out. So, is you know, he obviously is this getting to him? Is it is it getting is it is is the obsession getting to him? Um, and do you see a scenario where he walks away from it or do you see um this being a scenario where he goes out kicking and screaming and then finally um to follow up on richard's question about how much longer that that juve can prolong this when the day comes for juve to turn the scudetto over to somebody who do you think is going to be the best equipped to be the next champion of italy okay so as far as allegri is concerned uh you know, I, I, I think this is I got to tell you, you guys, when you know, and you, you know, I do my my video every week. You know, I keep it short. Mm-hmm. I like to keep it tight. Um, but I, I must say, I, I almost just felt like just dropping it, you know, after after that. I'm like, wow, basically, after Easter, there is there are no footballing objectives for my team until the end of August when the season resumes, you know, and I don't know if this is some, the kind of mental, uh, like the release that Allegri got, you know, and I think it kind of, you do lose, you do have the tendency to loosen up a little bit. And I think it, it, it kind of went off script, right? He, he's not as tight lipped. He's not as, you know, accepting, he's not under tension so much. And he just said, Okay, all right, listen, you know, every time I got to hear it from you, uh, you know, the only thing you know is, you you know, soccer on paper, you read books, blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, you don't tell me, you know, just, 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 you know, be quiet over there. Right. So uh, I think that's what happened. Do I think he's going to he's looking to drop? Do I I think he's looking to drop out? Um, There's nothing right now that would hold back Allegri from saying, uh, you know what, guys? It's been five years. I loved my time here. 
I loved my five Scudetti, my Supercoppa, my Coppa uh, Italia, um, the Champions League finals. You know, I'm going to ride off into the sunset and thank you very much. You know, I will see to it. Uh, that's it. Right. I mean, yeah, it, the players are not going to play for him anymore. Sure. Um, are, is Juve going to lose? Sure. But what difference is that going to make? It wouldn't make an iota of difference. I Instead, what he's been saying is, uh, no, I have a contract. I have one year left. I'm looking to honor that. And I want to be back because I want to win the Champions League myself. So do I, you know, do I take everything at face value? Absolutely not. But I believe that uh, that he has that 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 hard headedness about him that, yeah, he's looking he's looking to continue. Now, is that a, a definite response? Maybe, maybe not. It might be an interim response. And then who knows? Like soccer is a fluid exists in a fluid and sometimes gaseous state. It can change at any point. You can have in England, you can have positions opening up. Uh, so all of a sudden, bang, you know, he starts that he wants to exercise the English that he's been learning and make, um, uh, you know, tons of, of pounds sterling. No problem. Have a different ha- and to have a different experience. This also is a life experience. Why not? But currently, I don't see it. Currently, I don't think so. And in fact, you know, Conte has been just wa- just just waiting him out. You know, and he's not going to settle with Roma until he knows a hundred percent for sure that Allegri is going to be is going to go. Who's going to win the next Scudetto once Juve's dynasty is over in Serie? A? Uh, you know, it's always the, the easy response, uh, and as far as most likely uh, currently is is Napoli. We haven't seen. Huge changes at, um, but we're going to have to wait the mercato. We're going to have to see. Napoli has is a, has a first year is in the first year of, of Ancelotti's reign. I don't think Ancelotti is going to leave at the end of the season or at the, maybe at the end of the next season. Who knows? And I think Napoli stands is in a healthy financial situation, and they look and they're looking to to add to that. Um, you know, Roma. There's way too much fluidity going on there uh enter yeah maybe maybe but you know i think it, it would have to be a, a thing where juventus basically uh has to take a couple of steps back either selling players or imploding from a from a, a mental and tactical standpoint um and and you know who who knows i mean i think you know milan is still behind in terms of in terms of their growth uh, stage of their growth um you know atalanta that's you know you you were just dreaming at that at that point so and you know lazio uh, you know it's un, it's unlikely as well so you know those those teams there that i mentioned maybe i would say out of all of them uh, napoli and inter but that's probably you know in my eyes is uh is is very much alive the i'm looking you know if i'm looking at the table it's like yeah those teams are there because they are indeed the stronger of of the rest of the field i i'll, I'll throw in roma and i mentioned this last week because of the stadium coming in the stadio della roma and they need to nail the sporting director this time after the whole um just total uh disaster with monchi uh, so, uh, and, and their next manager, obviously. So, 
that could be a very interesting proposition if if uh, if, if Signoro Palotta uh, gets those hires right. Uh, that could be a very interesting situation here uh, in the next few years. So, um, all right, that was the Derby d'Italia. Not as important as the as the Derby uh, d'Italia that we have seen in past. Uh, and a uh, great discussion with Rocco on the aftermath of Juve winning their eighth consecutive Scudetto. Uh, your reactions to everything you heard, go to at Serie sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Richard is going to give us a breakdown of the games that impacted the European places. Yeah, so we're going to talk about the the big uh, Champions League spots up for grabs. Uh, obviously, enter our our little comfortable in third spot but you know that fourth spot is up for grabs you got roma lazio torino milan even atalanta are in the mix for this for this uh fourth spot so uh you had four or three big games that were with implications galore on it um roma hosting Cagliari. Cagliari is is now we call them the densest chair they've been playing everybody very tough mostly on the island but uh they can still be a tricky game uh when they when they travel Sampdoria, who's an excellent team at home, uh, were hosting Lazio, who who are suddenly resurgent. And then you got Torino and Milan. Torino, who's who boasts probably the strongest defense in Serie A against an, a suddenly impotent uh, AC Milan offensive team. So uh, it's it was a, a certainly uh, three games that you had to watch. Um, we'll start we'll start with the the scoreline in the uh, Torino Milan game. Torino with uh, an impressive two nothing win. Goals. Uh, 58th minute penalty from uh, Bellotti, and then, then Berenguer with one of the goals of the weekend candidates uh, with his strike uh, to beat Gianluigi Donnarumma. Torino went two nothing. Um, Sampdoria they end up losing surprisingly at home one to two to Lazio. Caicedo coming off the bench or uh, coming off the bench and getting a start in this one. Uh, he scores right away three minutes in, and before the, even the 20 minute mark, scores once more. Uh, one of my favorite players of this of, the, of this season for sure. So Lazio get the surprise win on the road, or is it a surprise? And then Roma, uh, Roma doing Roma things. Uh, all of a sudden with Merante uh, in goal, they look a more stronger team. They win three nothing. Goals from Fazio Pastore, which is a goal of the week candidate, and Kolarov in the, to round it out in the 86th minute. So, gentlemen, I you know we let's start with the Torino Milan game. Um, uh, a very strong statement from Torino in this one with the win. There was some controversy in this one, though. Uh, let's start with you, Frank. Uh, first, there was a play where Belotti gets manhandled in the box going for a, for a header. Uh, he gets tackled by Musacchio. No penalty is in, called by Marco Guida. Uh, minutes later, Kessi, uh, he ends up g- gets deemed called for a foul. This time in the penalty, the penalty was awarded uh, when Itzo went down in the box. What did you make of these two plays in particular? Uh, that uh, a penalty, one, one one play, a penalty was called, the other one wasn't. When really it should have been, maybe two penalties, maybe not. What do you think? Well, ultimately, uh, Marco Guida uh, gave a makeup call because I thought there should have been a. I thought there should have been a penalty on the Belotti incident. I thought the Itzo incident with Cassie was a little softer. Um, but they had him reversed. Uh, they didn't give anything on the Belotti incident, and then they give the penalty on the Itzo incident. I mean, I, this was a relatively inconsistent, and I'm not trying to be bitter as a Milan supporter. Milan were piss poor in this game um, and deserved to be defeated, but Kita was just brutal uh, as, a, as, an, as a referee in this game. Um, 
and was wildly inconsistent with his decision making. Um, but, uh, you know, so that certainly doesn't help matters, but it also didn't help that Milan were just awful for 90 minutes in this game, flat out awful. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm with you in, in the agreement that I think that first the Muzaki play should have been a penalty. It looked stone cold to me, and I don't know why it wasn't given, and I think it was a make-up call because it was a very soft uh, call on Kessier. Um, he did push, but, I mean, it was it was a, he barely nudged him. Yeah, Ito totally uh, took that and made it made it for what it's worth. Uh, Baraka Guida, his name just kept popping up throughout this throughout this game, and he ends up giving a red card to Romagnoli and sort of mocks him and, and applauds him. I I don't know what's going on there. Maybe Frank, you do, but uh, uh, Marco, what do you make of this whole inconsistency by Guida? Is this something that he just had it out for? The, well, first of all, the calls were going poor both ways, but then at the end to mock the the Milan captain as he did and sends him off. Uh, it's not very becoming of a referee to do that. Yeah, Guida di Torre Nunziata. Torre Nunziata is just outside of Naples. <laughs> I remember uh, one of his first Serie A games, with at least his inf- first infamous Serie A games, was a uh, Juventus Genoa uh, game where uh, a penalty was denied to Juve with um, Conte absolutely losing his mind on him. And I've been following him ever since. He seems to be someone who can get quite petty. Um and to be fair, uh, to at least to be fair to him, the game was, um, uh, you know, was was uh, there's a lot of it's a lot of rather chippy, especially at the beginning. You know, with with uh, it, it got was really physical right off the bat, and he kept his card in his pocket. But I I think uh, he's the type of ref that once he finds his card, he's flashing it flashing it flashing it quite a bit and you know i remember there's a couple of a couple of plays in the first half i then believe it was conti um a couple of fouls where he kind of looked the other way but then once once he started taking his card out it was it was constant um so in that in that way yeah i i understand what he means as far as what you mean as far as inconsistency and you know i think milan um kind of living through uh their coach's spirit kind of did show a little bit of a little bit of extra grit and maybe it came out in in some uh in some uh plays there in some fouls uh and i think milan ultimately uh paid paid the price Perhaps uh, you know Guida was a little influenced by by the home crowd uh, and uh, and got a little petty on on that Romagnoli uh, clap and uh, and the clap back was was rather surprising to me. I think um, if he wanted to show uh, with an eloquent gesture to the re- to the spectators, you know why he was giving him the red card, you know he could have said like. Well, you clapped at me in a little in a little more um, a subtle way, as opposed to it really it really did look like he was mocking him, yeah. and and that that kind of lacked showed showed a little bit of lack of of professionality. But on the whole, I think that uh, Torino, um, you know, Torino had the uh, line share of gameplay in the first half, yeah. but Milan did come up and have, uh, vi- you know, the odd time they did go up and they, and they were able to produce offense. They produced rather, um, uh, you know, some chances that, that uh, were worthy of note. Uh, and in the, but in the second half, um, you know, yeah, Torino kind of amped it up to 11, uh, Milan, perhaps, as you guys said, got away with uh, with a few calls in the box first before they were uh, ultimately punished. 
and um, and uh, what a great goal by Bellinger, by by the way, I should say. I'll, I'll give it back. Yeah, it was a well, great goal. Go ahead, Frank. Let me. I mean, let me just jump in on a couple of things here. First of all, <laughs> the the Romanelli red card. You know, I, I'm not. I'm not. You know, the referee after that. I'm not. I don't think he was classless at all. I, maybe he was trying to demonstrate why he gave the red card, and I'm just going to give him the – I know he has a reputation, but in that instance, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But come on. This isn't like the Milan derby a few years ago when Wesley Snyder was just marching toward a referee clapping in his direction. You know, I mean – I mean, and for Greta to pick that out from 30 yards away and just decide, okay, I've had enough of you. Get out of here. It just I, – I, I, that's where I thought it was petty. The, the actions of the referee afterward, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt of. I think he was giving an explanation for why he was sent off. But um, this, I mean, it's. But the the decision itself for me was just yeah. it was not necessary. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think I think if you did that every time, games would end up like seven against seven. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, despite the, the actions of Guida in this match, the inconsistencies, I do think Torino was the better team. And, and gentlemen, do you, I think this is a statement game for Torino saying that, you know, a couple people have, have said, you know, have linked uh, Torino as an outside chance for Champions League. But I, I think with this game, they're making a statement saying they're serious about the Champions League spot. And uh, what a way to do it, to win 2-0 two, two at home. Goals by Belotti and Berenguer, that, that fantastic goal by Berenguer, like you said, Rocco. Um, should we really start taking Torino seriously now uh, down the stretch here and for that last Champions League spot? Uh, it's really hard. It's really hard to see. You know what? I'll tell you for sure after next game. Best defense in the <laughs> yeah, league, though, right? Best Darby, defense in the right? league. They might have the best defense in the league, so that's the only thing they got going for them right now. Derby Della Mole coming up, though, at That'll the That would be huge. And what, a, and what a time. You know what? Honestly, I know you guys... I'm gonna get disowned by by Juventus, but there's gonna be there's gonna be a little part of me that's gonna that's gonna root for for Torino to to at least keep the uh, the Champions League fight uh, and that Champions League train of teams fighting in order to achieve that final berth spot for the Champions League uh, to keep it as to keep that train as long as possible. Um, and honestly, what a way for them to, to keep that alive and what a push it would be to their momentum, uh, in order to keep pursuing for that last, cha- for that last Champions League spot or at least the Europa League spot. That would be a great achievement, uh, for, for Torino. Well, it's definitely going to be, that's going to be the, this, this one here, had they lost it, it would have been it. That would have been it. They yeah. would have just been cut off and they would have missed it. They would have missed that train, but, they're still they're, they still uh, hitch their wagon to it and they're still alive and a game next game is going to be uh, telling of that. I do I, I should give you a little bit of a, uh, a little background. I when I visited Torino in one of my more extended uh, visits there, I I did go out to a um, a smaller town where uh, outside of Torino where the uh, museo uh, the museum of uh, Torino the Grande Torino is. And what a great time. If you guys, anybody, I don't care what team you support, if you're in and around Torino and you can make a little bit of time to go out there, definitely check it out. They have the nicest people. They had four or five folks. They were, you know, 50 plus, 60 plus. And, you know, they're like Torino historians. Took you through room by room. Nice. All the the uh, the memorabilia, pieces of the airplane of the Grande Torino that, that fell. And mm. it was 
absolutely fantastic. I think a, a part a part of my Bianconero heart turned Granata that day. <laughs> that sounds like something uh, I definitely would love to visit. Um, but yeah, yeah, you, you said it hundred uh, percent. I mean, Torino, uh, they get it done, and next week's going to be a big uh, the, the derby against Juventus is going to be huge, and it might be one of the most uh, uh, highly contested games in a while. In, in the sense that you know both teams, well, both teams, Torino actually has something to fight for now uh, when they when they go into this match, and so if they you know if they get if they can somehow get a win in that one, holy jeez, that would be a that would really turn the uh, the Champions League spots on on its head. But um, go to another team, Lazio. Uh, what a performance on the road against Sampdoria. Sampdoria, uh, they didn't. I mean, this is a very entertaining game. And um, Caicedo, man, uh, this, I love this player. I, I, I've been wanting to see this, play, this guy play more and more. Frank, um, he finally gets a start, and he scores three minutes in, and then gets an, gets his brace on the, just before the twentieth minute mark. Um, Lazio. You got to give credit to them. They 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 came out on the road. They've been playing really well lately. They had a, a win in, in the in the midweek uh, that got into the finals of Copa Italia. So they're 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 on confident right now. And uh, Caicedo is certainly uh, one of the players who who's feeling the magic touch with in terms of goals at this moment. And um, they were able to outhold uh, Sampdoria. I mean, chances are going both ways. But uh, what what do you what do you make about this performance from Lazio on the road? I, I was surprised that they won this game. I mean, I, I mean, I was surprised. You know. Obviously, getting two quick goals and going ahead 2-0 quickly. You're, and then, you know, Gaston Ramirez getting his second yellow uh, and being sent off. That's going to set the stage for Lazio to go ahead and get the three points at the Marassi. But going in, Milinkovic Savic suspended. Luis Alberto suspended. They're coming off of the Copa win midweek over Milan. Uh, and, and Sampdoria and the way they play at home. Everything lined up for me to suggest that this is going to be a letdown game and this is going to be a drop three points. Now, I think we're looking at a Sampdoria team that's on the beach already. Uh, because, I mean, at, at, on 48 points, what's left to play for um, yep. is sitting in ninth. And I think that we saw, I, you know, very you know, impressive for Lazio to get these three points and seize the opportunity. But I think that this is an indictment on Sampdoria and what we're going to see from them for the rest of the season. Yeah, yeah, if I can go for it. Yeah, if I could just jump in here. Yeah, I mean, just quick sidebar. Uh, the fact that you know five games to go, you still have uh, you have teams that are at the beach. You know, something has to be done about in, injecting tension into this league. Um, we have, I don't know, maybe reducing it to eighteen or sixteen or something like that, or introducing some kind of playoff structure for Europe or for and or for relegation. But, you know, you can't have teams that have basically been mailing it in for weeks on end. I mean, you know, we have the Fiorentinas, the Sampdorias, the Cagliaris, the, you know, and, and, you know, this, this, this is kind of a, one of these problematic type things. But I too was very surprised that uh, Lazio's um, one-two punch coming out right out of the gate. Um, and uh yeah logically this was this was more of like a draw type game or or maybe even a Sampdoria win type situation uh that said uh, La, you know if anyone's going to Lazio a game it's going to be Lazio uh <laughs> you know two nothing and a man up sure enough they concede on a silly uh chance the Qualiarella and Sampdoria was just was just a ch- half chance away from from drawing from tying it up and probably deservedly on the balance of play in the second half are we going to say that the performances by Lazio this past week or so is going to be what determined if they made the Champions League or not come end of the season? Or is just just a, a too soon to tell, really? I mean, 
great performances in the last couple of weeks here for Lazio, especially these last two games, uh, both on I the still, road. I still hate their run-in. Yeah, it's yeah, I mean, they got the, they no got, they've got the Copa, but they, they host Atalanta now next weekend. They go to Cagliari, which is no easy task. No. Um, they might find a comfortable three points against Bologna on May 20th because Bologna, we'll talk about here in a minute, I think have secured their place for next season. They're going to be one of those teams that are probably going to be on the beach by then. And then they're at Torino for the final match day of the season. And here we go again with Lazio on the final match day with possibly a European <laughs> place of any kind of place. Two years in a row. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's fun. It's it's hard. It's too hard to tell. I think the the next mat the next game week is going to be telling. Might separate a lot of those uh, contenders from the pretenders. I I it, you know if if Atalanta does what everyone expects them to do tomorrow against uh, Udinese, then you know and and that game in Rome might uh, I think ultimately cut uh, Lazio out. Uh, and uh, in Cagliari, the match away in Cagliari, Cagliari will, will be safe by then. And, you know, who, who knows? You know, they might stand to lose or something like that. But I don't know. It, it's really hard. And they got the Coppa Italia match right in between the, the final. Um, I don't know. For some reason, I see Lazio ending up in a, in a Europa League spot again this year, but not, not making the cut for champions. And gentlemen, just before we thought uh, we can write Roma off, they're uh, they're all of a sudden back. They're right now they're back in the fourth spot of the Champions League uh, with a three nothing win here. So um, yeah, maybe they're maybe they found a way now with uh, Marante and Net that they're gonna maybe hold on to that spot. Who knows? But they're, they're certainly in the driver's seat at the moment, pending the result for Atalanta tomorrow. But um, just more Ranieri's uh, tactics of late, or is this all Marante and Net, or what is it? Well, it's got to be Ranieri because he has to make the decision who plays in goal. You know, he's come to his senses that Mirante is a better goalkeeper than Olsen. <laughs> so, he opened you know, his so eyes. I think, yeah, yeah, he opened his eyes where Di Francesco didn't. Or, you know, Ranieri's, Ranieri's optician um, maybe has a much better track record for getting good glasses to coaches than Di Francesco's. Because they both wear glasses, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, that's... Opti- I think that's the first time in my entire life I've ever used the word optician, by the way. Right here on the show, that's it. I had to look that up while you were talking, so. <laughs> well, that's our, t- that's our, those are the Champions League races, uh, Frank. Uh, very, it's a very fun time now at the end of the season with these, with these, with this last four spot up for grabs. So, um, what else we got for the rest of the, with the games in slate? All right, let's move on and we'll, uh, that was our, uh, look at the European places. Let's look at the relegation places now. All right, and if you're a regular faithful listener to this podcast, you'll know that uh, Richard and I for weeks have been touting the match between Bologna and Empoli as being a massive one uh, to help paint the picture for how the relegation uh, picture was going to, uh, you know, at least play out, if not conclude things. Um, I made the very I made the very bold prediction because Bologna was in one of the bottom three places that I said, okay, they're going to get out. And if they don't do it with people in Zaghi, they're going to do it with somebody else. I said that back at New Year's. You remember that, Richard, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. All right, see, because see, yeah, you know, you got to give me credit when I when I actually get one out of a million things right. I gotta, you know, it, I gotta feel good about it. But anyway, the broken clock thing. Uh, the broken clock is right twice a day. That's darn right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. 
So Bologna hosting Empoli, and you know, I you know I I I, I talk about the Marassi being Stadia eye candy, uh, and I said that a few weeks ago. I said that when I think I said when it was Genoa was playing Juve, um, but uh, the Del Auto when it's full, and it was almost full, and. This is the one thing that, for me, Rocco, is the beauty of of football and the beauty of calcio. You had, you know, at the time, 16th against 18th. <laughs> you know, hey, pick a North American sport of any kind where there's two teams at the bottom. You're trying to give away tickets. Here, because of relegation, you have a packed stadium to watch 16th against 18th. Yeah, yep. And that was, and what a game, and what a game it was. You know, it, it was, it was one of those what what people will call uh, uh, in a comedic sense, let's say, you know, barn burner. But indeed, it was. And you had two teams. Uh, it was a dogfight. It was, it was a dogfight, and that that's probably the best thing, the best way to describe this game. Um, and you know, Empoli coming out swinging, grabbing a goal early, and you know, right there, right. As Empoli was winning one nothing, that's when my that's when I hit the the publish uh, uh, button on my on my uh, on my video of the week, and my prediction was Bologna to win, and I didn't change it because I you know it would have been too easy to change it at that point, but you know knowing knowing what uh, you know the power of the home field and and knowing the what the Dallara can do. Um, the spirit of Mihailovic's teams and uh, Bologna themselves as a as a squad, you know, it, it really overcame all of that, and they were able to overturn uh, what what was or what seemed to be uh, an opportunity where Bologna could have you know could have just let it go, and they could have lost points and would have gotten sucked into the quicksands of a of a relegation battle, and instead they they made well on that and created. A little more light between them and uh, and the third last spot, which was of course at the time uh, and still is Empoli. Sure, and I mean Empoli scored like you're, you're as you mentioned through Pajic, um and and went ahead one nil. And if anybody that watched this game, I did. Um, Empoli looked relatively comfortable for those first twenty five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. Um, it was Bologna would after that start growing into the game and start pumping in a lot of chances. So. You know, Empoli took a one-nil lead into the dressing room at halftime, but it was a one. It was definitely an example of a one-nil where you're just hanging on for dear life, and it's like, well, how do we do this? Do we pack it in and try to see if we can salvage the three points, or do we have to go looking for a second? So while Empoli's doing that fine line, Bologna just continued to go about their business. They they had 24 shots in this game. Uh, the first that went in in the 51st minute was Roberto Soriano uh, on a cross from Nicola Sansone. Uh, but uh, they would wait over a half an hour uh, for that go-ahead goal, and it came through Ricardo Orsolini, a goal of the week candidate, um, and uh, putting Bologna ahead to one. And then it was uh, kind of hang on time for Bologna. There was a, uh, and I think this was actually before Orsolini's goal, but Caputo had a header on frame that Skorupski put over the bar. And uh, Bologna would lock up the three points in the 95th minute. Nicola Sansone from Ladislav Krejci uh, to give Bologna the 3-1 win. So Sinisa Mihailovic has walked in there, has taken that situation over. Bologna is sitting on 14th po- in 14th place on 37 points. Uh, 
The other game to note that probably shapes the relegation picture, and we'll just after that we'll jump in uh, to a couple of other games. Uh, Spall, actually there's a couple of games, uh, playing host to Genoa, a couple of teams that are kind of floundering in that bottom half. Uh, and it would be uh, Spall opening the scoring in the 36th minute uh, from Felipe, uh, from Vicari. Uh, and then uh, Gianluca Lapadula has one more goal than Milan have scored in their last two games combined. Um, and he plays for Genoa. Uh, so he gets the equalizer for the Grifone, uh, one point each, uh, leaving Spall in 12th, Genoa in 16th. Genoa six points safe from the drop. And then the other noteworthy game uh, from the relegation collection, um, Frosinone losing 2-0 uh, at home to Napoli. Um, kind of expected a, a three points here for the Partenope, uh, but two fantastic goals coming out of it. Dries Mertens with a with a worldie of a free kick. Uh, and then in the second half, I mean, Eunice, after some great team play, uh, getting, getting, making it 2-0 in the 49th minute. Uh, so we pretty much, that is the end of Frosinone at this point, especially if Udinese should somehow win against Atalanta on Monday. Um, they're all but relegated at this point. Empoli in real trouble now after that defeat. Um, I'm going to maintain what I've been saying here for the last couple of weeks, Rocco. I think the three that are sitting in the drop at the moment are the three that are going down. Yeah, and there's there's a bit of a a bit of a gap there. Four points, Udinese might get sucked in there. Um, uh, maybe maybe Genoa too, but I don't really see uh, even Genoa getting getting uh, involved in a in a very dangerous play. You know playing Russian roulette with the relegation zone right now. Um, hey, no, let me give you, let me I, give you Genoa's... I, I would tend to agree. Empoli, Frosinone, and Kiev already, of course, uh, mathematically relegated the, the, the Veronese. But let me give you Genoa's run-in. Uh, hosting Roma at Atalanta, mm. hosting Cagliari at Fiorentina. I mean, job's totally not done yet, but six points no. clear with four games to play. They ought to be all right. Empoli have the Tuscan Derby. Yeah. At Sampdoria, yeah, so they'll probably what my guess my guess will be that Genoa will mathematically clinch at home against Cagliari on the 18th on May 18th. Maybe you know they might still be needing a, a tiny point at the Franchi or something like that. But you know, yeah, and and I do see them uh, dropping all three points both against Roma and Atalanta. But be careful about that that Roma game. Roma and Atamarasi, if there's one team that can trip them up, it might be Genoa and it might be Atamarasi. Maybe not a loss. It could be a, they could, but it could be a tie. They could be taking away points from them that will end up uh, being important for the uh, for the Champions League race. Sure. Um, I looked at Empoli's uh, run in. It's a lot worse than Genoa's. Uh, hosting Fiorentina, the Tuscan Derby at Sampdoria, hosting Torino at Inter. Uh, so yeah, they're going down. Um, and yeah, then and Richard would love more to, to, to trip up uh, Empoli and send them down than that is the than Fiorentina. So yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Udinese are at Atalanta tomorrow. They host Inter at Frosinone, hosting Spall, and then at Cagliari. So manageable for them. But I think the fact, I, I think it's going to be more of a fact that Empoli have just such a tough slate to finish the season uh, by comparison, Richard. Um, you know, that while Genoa and Udinese have some difficult fixtures here to navigate through, 
Empoli have it far, far worse, and they have four point. They have a minimum of four points to make up. Yeah, we're gonna miss those uh, pretty jerseys next season. Uh, unfortunately, the the free open play of attack is uh, a joy to watch. Defensively, they're calamitous, and they give up way too many goals, and it's really a peril to themselves. And hopefully, you know, when they when they will get relegated, uh, they'll find a way to shore up defensively so that when they come when they try to come back again that they they're a little bit more sound defensively because that is obviously the big issue this year offensively they're brilliant but defensively they are just uh shambles and then just to just to finalize uh the uh the fixture list of the games that actually happened over the weekend Kievo and parma uh probably played on a parking lot i wouldn't know i didn't see it uh one one uh kuchka for parma Medjorini for uh, Kiev, although of note, Emmanuel Vignato getting an assist. He scored last week against Lazio. Now he pops up with an assist. Uh, young player that is going to find some work with another team next season after Kievo goes down. Uh, so, uh, Rocco, thoughts on Atalanta Udinese and Fiorentina Sassuolo? I think Fiorentina Sassuolo has the chance to be a game like that's going to end up 5 4. There's going to yeah. be goals in that uh, game. I was going to say 5 3 or something like that. You know, Sassuolo has. Um, has definitely been one of the Sassuolo and Fiorentina lad are two teams that are navigating in safe waters. So, you know, uh, safe waters usually shore up uh, in port and then close to the port is where you'll find them uh, at the beach. And that's basically uh, it's going to be I hope at the very least it'll be a fun game to watch for whomever happens to go there on a Monday night. But I'm not really expecting too much uh, out of this one. Uh, And as far as Atalanta-Linesa, everybody knows that this is a a topsy-turvy kind of game. We have uh, Atalanta, who is putting together a serious bid for a Champions League spot. Uh, And, you know, one thing that Atalanta has taught me is as soon as you can count on them to get you the three points, they get tripped up. Uh, See the game, for example, against Empoli, uh, where also on a Monday, I believe they tied 0-0 and they weren't able to to get all three points, keeping that Champions League race of, you know, who wants it less still alive. Uh, So and and Udinese, of course, looking for looking for as many little points as they can gather in order to uh, assure themselves that mathematical uh, safety as much as soon as as quickly as possible. Um, You know, the. the uh, gambler in me is still putting his money, uh, not a lot of it, on Atalanta to win this game. <laughs> not a lot of it. Yeah, nope. I mean, they were in this spot a couple weeks ago where y'all, we, we, we assumed they were going to just yeah. walk Empoli and they ended nil-nil. So. They got on our face on that one. Yeah. Yeah. So so anyway, so that's it. Richard, uh, your thoughts on those games, Atalanta, Udinese, uh, Fiorentina, Sassuolo. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, Atalanta are are shaping shaping up a a Champions League run here, and uh, they do come out with this one in a victory. Hopefully, we see some goals in that one. We will see goals in the Fiorentina Sassuolo match, uh, but uh, let's let's uh, hopefully they're 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 pretty ones, and it's a fun game to watch for the neutral because uh, I'll definitely be tuning in for that one. Agreed. It'll be. Uh, I I think I'm going to have it on in the background and just listen for about a goal every five minutes in that game. So, uh, on average. So we'll we'll see we'll see. Hopefully they live up to it. And if they nil nil this, I'll you know I'll have words for every Fiorentina and Sassuolo. Probably a lot lot harsher than I had for you, Ventini, with that tweet a couple weeks ago. So um, <laughs> lastly, very fast, Coppa Italia, Lazio final, Lazio Atalanta, Rocco, who you got? I 
the two teams play each other. I want to say the team that's in, in the least shape uh, as far as uh, their season objectives in the domestic league is concerned, that team's going to take it. Uh, and if Lazio is going to take it, it's going to be an extra time because Atalanta has to be super, will have to be super tired. They have to catch them unawares. Otherwise, um, it should be really Atalanta is, is the favorite in that one, uh, I would say. I'm going with Atalanta. I, I, I'd love to see a trophy to uh, validate Gasparini's project at this point. Richard? Lazio are home, so they have the advantage. So I'm going to go with Atalanta. <laughs> yeah. They do struggle at home against good teams. Yep. That is true. So go for it. Okay. Well, with that, we're putting a bow on this edition of Serie A. Sit down. A, a extra special thanks to our guest, Rocco. And uh, as we do with all of our guests, we give you the floor to uh, tout anything or plug anything that you would like to plug. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much. By the way, uh, you guys are a big supporter of my weekly vlog, which is the Serie A game of the week. You can just Google that Serie A game of the week and then maybe even put my name Rocco Fasano. You'll probably find one of the videos. I would appreciate it if your uh, folks, if your followers would just go on there, subscribe, you know, give me a like, whatever, hit the bell so they get the videos as soon as they come out. And of course, I put together a slew of wonderful predictions on uh, on the week coming up. So, you know, very straight, straight, you know, whole, uh, win, uh, or draws, uh, and so far this week, out of eight games played, I got six right, so check it out. Excellent stuff. Uh, Richard, anything to tout? Um, well, obviously, going to tout uh, Rocco's page. Obviously, uh, I subscribe, so you guys should subscribe as well. Uh, it's definitely uh, some... He, hey, he gives you information that you need, and it doesn't take that much time doing it, so it's great. keeps your attention 100%, so uh, obviously tout Rocco, but uh, also, it's, on my end, uh, not much going on. Just been busy uh, busy with the podcast life, so uh, you can always find me at r underscore k h a r m a n on Instagram or Twitter. Excellent. You can find me at ftc underscore twenty one on Twitter as well. Uh, we have our own channel on iTunes and SoundCloud. Uh, if uh, people are looking for a good Serie A podcast and uh, you want to point them uh, in a specific direction, you can point them there. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify. Just about anywhere where you can. Uh, find a find podcasts we're there uh, we have our own channel on YouTube and uh, yeah definitely go and give uh, Rocco a support and a follow his videos are excellent um, and uh, you can go to www.worldfootballindex.com plenty of excellent content content on the beautiful game covered around the world uh, so uh, plenty of things as Rich would say if you don't like Serie A and, and, and why would you after you listen to the three of us for an hour and 15 minutes um, there's plenty of other stuff on worldfootballindex.com for you Rocco full disclosure he said that on one of our podcasts when he was trying to tout other stuff and I was just like they just got done listening to us for an hour and a half maybe they don't like Serie A anymore after that so <laughs> You might have liked it before the show, but now forget it. <laughs> yeah, we ruined it for you. Uh, yeah, maybe that island football is not so bad after all. So, uh, But anyway, but uh, check out www.worldfootballindex.com. Uh, plenty of content, articles, uh, podcasts from other leagues. There's a, um, uh, there's a plethora of stuff there to go ahead and follow. Uh, we're at Serie A Sit Down on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Give us a like and a follow there. 
Um, again, special thanks to Rocco Fasano. Congratulations. Your fourth cap with us. Your fifth will probably not be too far away. Uh, and uh, Richard, as always, it's been a blast. So for Rocco, for Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening. And as always, make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.